Memorial Day, a time to remember service and sacrifice, while articulating our righteous anger on the one hand, our hearts also go out to the women and men who served or are still serving in conflict zones, knowing that their assignments were or are much more taxing than any of us can imagine from our comfortable chairs. We care about our troops and feel the pain of their sacrifices just as we honor the sacrifices of the many who are suffering in other ways because of the extreme funding cuts for human services and education, as well as other shifts in the economy that have been imposed in order to finance these wars and aggressions. When Di and I first came to Kalamazoo, we went to a protest for peace in Bronson Park. I saw some of you there. Some were handing out a reminder of what our government values. In the circle that shows how money is distributed, one could easily see that war was the American government's first priority. 60% of the budget was for the military, including the Department of Defense, Department of War, Veterans Affairs, and nuclear weapons programs, and other programs as well. The Department of Homeland Security was not included in that 60%. That means even more money, in my view, wasted on a false sense of security. How will the United States of America be remembered? How will we as individuals be remembered? May we feel each other's support as an ethical people responding authentically, even with our differences of perspective, about the patriotism we each feel in some way. We remember the stories of those from this community who have died. How will this congregation in the life of People's Church be remembered? Each generation is charged with honoring your historic legacy. Some will protect it through preservation of established customs. Others will focus on updating some of its practices in response to the needs of a new era. Both are important. Each generation gets to make critical choices that draw from the past to invigorate the present. Each generation gets to bring their dreams for who you can become as you seek to remain relevant in a society that is shifting at an overwhelming pace. Remember that through the ages, people have put themselves on the line unselfishly so that others may reap the harvest they sowed. And it's not only on the battlefield. Parents do that all the time. They make sacrifices so their children may have opportunities that they otherwise wouldn't have. I think you can say that the work of interim ministry is something like that. They make sacrifices so their children... No, that was the last paragraph. (laughs) 
Remembering we walk into a new world, so to speak, with the goal of helping the congregation prepare for the next settled minister. While it sounds pretty straightforward, there are many layers to address, including, most importantly, learning who all the people are in this complex system and what their combined needs are as they prepare for this unsettling injection called interim ministry. Remembering, of course, there is some anxiety. You ask yourself, how can we best maneuver through this unknown terrain without losing our balance, losing our people, losing our faith in our leaders, or losing our commitment to the process? And even though that struggle is not at all about war on this day of remembrance, some may subconsciously see it, interim ministry, as a game of win or lose. If I can only make things go back to how they used to be with our wonderful minister that everyone loved, then we win. But if we can't do that, then we lose. And somebody is going to have to be the scapegoat. Well, that might be one person's perspective, but there are many more perspectives, and unlikely, unlike the military example, where all follow the rules made by the hierarchy, church members in our tradition have almost unlimited flexibility. That's why I appreciate the phrase, if anybody can make it work, we can. The interim period is about opening yourself to see with new eyes. By no means does that mean that the things you are accustomed to have to go. Not at all. Maybe a few of them need some freshening up or a short rest. But on the whole, most things will stay the same, except for those areas where you decide as a community that some action is needed. Remembering, the interim minister looks for the boxes and shows you what they see inside. Then you look inside those boxes as well and consider options that could improve this or that situation. When you've made a careful and reasonable assessment, then you make your plan and tackle the most important things first. Because believe me, there's not enough time to get to everything. Most important things first. But what might look like the most important thing to address first might better be addressed later. In the ideal situation, the first work of an interim minister is to get to know the people, what you care about, what concerns you, what you would like to see going forward. That was my plan. However, while spending the first month building relationship with the members, I was also trying to explain the minister's covenant about congregants refraining from contact with the former minister until the new settled minister has been in place for at least two years. Well, instead of helping as I thought I was doing, I was pushing into a critical area without having laid enough groundwork. Anybody remember that? 
remembering that important effort to lay the groundwork, which makes for easier discussion of such issues in a fruitful way, is so important. There's no fault on the part of the leadership if you did not have this information about the boundaries of the minister's covenant before I arrived. So I needed to be the messenger, which is also an important part of interim work. Still, I own the fact that I opened that particular can of worms before I had gained your trust. I feel that gaining trust was possible with some over time, but with others it became a hurdle rather than a helper. But the good news is that we made a course correction, a very important one. That's why the second interim option was developed some time ago. There's been enough experience in the field to know that sometimes we need to change course in order to have a successful transition, and that is precisely what is happening here. Remembering. Since the new interim minister, who some of you have already met and others will get to shake hands with today, has had the benefit of hearing what I was able to do and not do here. So he's starting with much more background than I had, and he's totally committed and able to helping you achieve what you deserve. So I will depart with gratitude for the opportunity I had to get to know some of you in this very short time frame. I wish it had been longer because there is much about the work of this church and the people here that I love. I gave my best, as did many others here. And may those who wish to explore new possibilities with your next interim minister be open to his ministerial style so that you may find joy in the journey. I'm leaving today after the hugs. I finished my work, and I'm pleased with it. But I do want you to know that I will be available throughout this week if there are any critical pastoral issues or death, I will come back for that. And I must say that the covenant of refraining from contact until two years after the settle minister applies to me too. As much as I wish it were different, I understand the long-term value of making that commitment. There's an exception. Contact with ministers who have recently served you is allowed at the annual General Assembly or other UUA gatherings. I think they decided to come up with this in order to get more people to come to GA and other <laughs> gatherings. <laughs> I want to believe that our paths will cross at General Assembly sometime or other UUA events, such as the installation of your next settled minister. I thank you for the graciousness you have shown my partner and me. And I will always hold you fondly in my memories and know that I am thrilled for your new adventure ahead. I will close the full, circle, the full circle of my service here by reading 
just four of the many notes that congregants wrote during the summer service when I arrived. And you can always see many more comments on what people's people value by looking at the reports from the transition team in the latest three volumes of News and Views. Just a second. Some of you from summer will remember these cards you filled out to describe what you especially appreciate here and what you would like to see going forward. Musical vitality, mutual respect, multicultural influences. The open and honest, uh, to be open and honest with each other, to focus on our gifts and not our gaps, to keep visioning an awesome future, to welcome everyone. I hope to find peace and strength for myself and my family. Life is so precious. Happiness is so important. And sometimes it's hard to find. However, I don't give up hope at People's Church. And the last one I'll read from the many that were shared in that service. Don't forget the seniors. We have been active we still belong and pledge and attend. We are still interested. I close with a prayer adapted from John Carrado, former minister of the Unitarian Church in Gross Point, Michigan. Dear tenderness at the heart of things, hold us close. Incline us to hold one another in mutual support. Our living plunges us from yesterday to tomorrow faster than we are ever ready for. We are kids on the playground just a few minutes ago. Now look at us, kids in aging skin. The story we become with every second seems as though somebody is speed reading it. We hardly have time to bump against one another, let alone make real connections. We grab desperately for meaning in this haste. Loving tenderness, hold us close. Slow us down. Give us at least a sense of pause. Help us see each day with grateful wonder as if it were the first page of the story. Help us live each day in thoughtful fullness as if it were the last day of the story. Hold us, slow us, help us, show us, but keep us going as long as we can. Amen.